Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. If you're left with me and you are attached at the hip to your phone, you can get the U version, download the U version onto your phone, and uh, with your location services on, you will find that you are sitting in New Life. And you can click through those on the more and all that kind of stuff and uh, find the notes for today's service. Gives you the ability to save those. It actually gives you the ability inside that to actually make your own notes. So you can do all those things right there uh, inside that if you're interested. If you have a paper Bible, you can take a pencil and if you're like me, a ruler, because when you underline in your Bible, it needs to be straight. Amen. Thank you very much. And you can actually write in your Bible. God will not strike you dead for writing in his word. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's a passage that says who has heard his word and marked it. And so uh, it is something that you should do. I, uh, I mark mine. And many of you have seen me give a Bible away. I use mine until God points out I should give it away. Or until I find that I'm trying to underline a scripture that I've already used in the life of that Bible. And then I get out a new one. So uh, that's just how that works in my world. Um, Don't throw rocks at me. Um, The same manna that we're eating today will not keep us alive tomorrow. So it's okay. Amen. All right, opening your Bibles, if you would, please, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about the perception, the illusion, and deception of control. This week, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about self-deception. There are two basic kinds of deception. There's deception that the devil does where he blinds your eyes. If you're born again, you probably don't have that. Um, If you're born again, you probably are your worst enemy. You actually deceive yourself. And I'm going to show you those three levels in just a second. But notice in Hebrews chapter 11 from last week where we talked about the voice of trust. We see that by faith in verse 24, Moses, when he became of age refused to be called. Notice he made a decision when he became responsible for his own outcomes there. When he became a person of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction or the kind of difficulties that come with with being attacked based on your belief system. Um, So we could call that affliction if we need to. And uh, uh, with the people of God, then to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The thing that you ought to underline in your Bible, if you're a Bible underliner, is you ought to underline the word passing. Because the pleasures of sin are indeed passing. They're not staying. They're passing. And, and uh, it's kind of like when you go through trouble, you're going through trouble. When you go through affliction, you're going through it. Don't stop in the middle. Stay focused on getting through what God has you involved in. Notice it says, esteeming the approach of Christ greater than the riches of the treasures in Egypt. He made a comparative decision between what was offered in Egypt, which was substantial to what he could see. And we find out later in this passage, he sees, it, sees the invisible stuff. He says that treasure, that invisible stuff is greater than what the world has to offer. It says he looked to the reward. Again, there is a reward that comes. And in verse 27, it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, 
not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Again, if you're going to understand how trust works, you're going to have to trust the invisible. Once you're able to to prove that something is a particular way, you don't need trust anymore. You have a fact. You didn't need to, after you sit in that chair, you don't need to have any more trust that that chair will hold you up. You've already proven that. It's a fact now. It's a truth now. But when you're dealing with the things of God, much of it happens in an invisible world. And so you have to be preparing yourself to grow and to express the trust that God gives you. And again, he gives it to you in all kinds of manners, but it's a choice that many of us have to make as we become responsible for our own decisions. This week, I want to talk about self-deception and persuasion. Please understand that if you say, well, I have the word of God, next week you're going to learn through this parable of the sower that the soil pay, plays a really important role to the production of seed. The seed is powerful, the seed is eternal, but the soil plays a role. And we're going to talk about that next week. And the role that the soil plays is a role that we could call today persuasion. Let me give you the three kinds of deception that are available to you. Here's the first one, and it's in the notes. If you're not doing that, you can write them down. The first self-deception is when I'm persuaded not to believe what is true. When I'm persuaded not to believe what is true. If you're a note taker, write that down. Persuaded to believe what is not true. Leave a little space and then put the second one in. Here's the second deception. These are self. No one is throwing this on you. You are choosing these things. When you choose to believe what is not, what is, I mean, let me not get my words. I I tried to write this in a way that I could walk away and and not be uh, struggling with it. When I'm persuaded not to believe what is true. You can, you can face this a lot because what happens is there are multiple variations of what the world calls truth. You can get all kinds of things from the world. They'll tell you all these things are happening and it's terrible and it's bad and it's going to get worse. In fact, it's going to get so much worse that you need to spend all your time worrying about it. Well, I'm persuaded not to believe what is true. I will tell you what the Bible says that the, 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 the life of Christians, the plan of God is brighter and brighter till the noonday. Now you can look out and you can say, but pastor, it's kind of dark right now. I'm telling you, here's the truth. It's brighter and brighter till the noonday. But pastor, it's, when you refuse, you're persuaded not to believe the truth. I'm telling you, this ends well. Right? And you say, well, it doesn't. I don't know how it can. It's so terrible right now. Everything's bad. And every, you know, every, everything's happening wrong and all that. When you're persuaded to believe, to not to believe what is true. That's one of the ways we're self-deceived. Second way, give yourself a little bit of space. When I'm persuaded to believe what isn't true. Now this happens to us all the time when we use our works-based thinking. So for an example, in healing, here's one of the ways in healing where you all know someone that you say was really righteous, you know, uncle or aunt or mom or dad or so, oh, they were, but they didn't get healed. You're persuaded to believe what isn't true. Listen to me, listen to me carefully. No amount of work that you do provides healing. But what you end up saying is, well, yeah, but so-and-so didn't get healed and they were just like the most Christian person I know. That has nothing to do with it. 
It's not based on you. It's based on him. But what do we do? Well, we got to believe just right. We got to have all the faith just right. My wife and I had this great conversation this week. I don't remember what day it was where we talked about the reality of faith as a gift. You can't make this stuff up. God gave you what you needed before you knew you needed it. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, it's saved by grace through faith. Where'd you get that faith? It's a gift. Lest anyone else should believe and boast. God gave you the faith to accept the grace that God was pouring out through Jesus Christ. That's how he draws you. He begins to enrich. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 about verse 12 says, it turned, sorry, am I going too fast? (laughs) God placed eternity in the heart of man. Did you, do you remember the verse I gave? I think it's the 12th verse. I'm not sure. No, if you'll find it, it's in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Just read it until you find it and then put it up. What did you do, brother? Okay, sorry, it just, I, it just came up in me. And, and so anyway, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. And if it's not in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's only like 12 chapters in the whole book. Go read the whole thing. But I think it's in chapter 3. Anyway, here's the point. What happens is that we are created with an emptiness on the inside Oh, it's verse 11. How close was I? I was only one verse off. Cut me some slack. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. Before you're born again, God makes a God-sized hole in your heart. Only he can fill it. And so he begins to fill it, right, with the faith that is a gift so that when you're exposed to the grace of Jesus Christ, you go, yeah, I can believe that. Why can you believe that? Because inside your God hole, he began to put faith that he was going to do those things. It's not your faith. It's a misnomer. It's, a, it's an unbelief. It's, well, I'm going to build my faith. Well, good luck with that, first of all, because the Bible says in, 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 in uh, Romans uh, uh, 12 and 3, that he's given everybody the measure of faith. Now, I don't want to be too Bible school on you here, but the, the, the definitive article is only available in the Greek. It, it, so there isn't a chair in the Greek language. There's only the chair in the the one and only. So when it says the measure of faith, yep, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now it says, uh, you, uh, see, that's why I didn't want to be too Bible school on you. But, it has a definitive article. It literally means the one and only deposited at one time. That measure, okay? So it's not Larry has faith and Sharon has faith and that faith is because, I mean, it shows up based on how they energize with it, right? Larry has faith to preach anything that moves and doesn't move. Get it saved. Sharon has a hospitality thing. That faith, that's how that thing works through her wiring. But the faith is exactly the same faith. It's a representation or reflection of what Jesus wants to do through you. Does that make sense? You don't get to say, well, Pastor Glenn sure got more faith than me. No, that's not possible or God would be a respecter of individuals. And as much as I want him to be a respecter of individuals... Just like you do, come on, you want your life to be easier, say amen. Man, I'm telling you what, I want my life to be easier sometimes. I was driving home yesterday from helping our kids and it was three or four o'clock in the afternoon and I looked over and my wife who has a reclining chair on her side of the car and I can't see her because she's reclined. 
And I'm going, yeah, I want to take a nap too. <laughs> How many of you know I had, to, I had to use the faith that God gave me a little bit differently? See, I can't, I can't trust in the driver that's me if he's sleeping. You know how you know you've fallen asleep when you're driving, when the road is no longer smooth. Anyway, that's what faith does. Here's the third. Sorry, I got way off. Are you, are you tracking with me? So when I'm persuaded not to believe what is true, when I'm persuaded to believe what isn't true, there's two sides of that, right? What, what isn't true? I'm telling you, God is not a respecter of individuals. So it's not true that somebody is better than you. Not, not true. But we're, we believe, well, they're closer to God. The only way you get closer to God is die. And you get to see him face to face. Past that, everybody's on equal footing. For number three, self-deception. When I'm persuaded because of what I already know not to learn. Those are the three applications of self-deception in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. We are our own worst problem. Because persuasion can be defined literally as the act of influencing the mind by argument or reason. How many of you have believed what isn't true by saying, I don't deserve this and I don't need all of this and I don't have all of this. And, and you got to that place where you decided you didn't deserve it. Right. And, and, and because of what you've learned, what you think you've learned, I've studied, you know, listen, as a pastor, I've been I've been doing this. I preached my my first sermon in 1983. So this is my 40th year of active preaching. It's my 37th year of active pulpit. And I've never been in a church where we didn't have a multiplicity of offerings. So for all of my preaching life, 40 years, 37 years of pulpit preaching in churches, two churches, I've preached an adult Sunday school class and a regular service. I've preached twice over 48 or so weeks a year. So I've preached 96 times a year. I've almost always had a secondary service, whether it's a Bible study or something like that, that adds a number of those. So I've preached probably for 37 years, I've probably preached 150 or more times a year. I deserve God's attention. I mean to tell you, I've sacrificed for him. And you know what pastors have to guard themselves with, you know, Sunday's on the calendar every week. I mean, every week Sunday comes up. Every week on Sunday, you people come. And guess what? You sit in your chairs, just like you're doing right now, and you look up here. And, say, and you say something like, okay, Pastor Glenn, go ahead. Go ahead. Let us know. Right? That's what you do. And so we get to the problem where we think what we do causes a deservedness in the kingdom of God. Listen, you'll betray it by how you talk. How many of you have ever said you really, really prayed about something? Who are you saying that for? Are you saying it for God? Do you need to convince God you really prayed? Because I want to tell you something. It's God's job, basically, to listen. He, he wants to hear your voice. So he's listening. You don't have to say really, really. You're only doing that for my benefit or whoever's listening. Like, man, I'm really spiritual. I really, really prayed about this. Listen, I didn't hardly pray about this sermon at all. 
I said to God on Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever day it was, I said, God, my week's running out and I haven't heard your voice for them, for, for your people yet. And so I sat down and I heard two weeks worth. I told this story in, in Sunday school. It was that afternoon or the next day that Amber's mom passed away. And all of a sudden, I need, honestly, I, 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 I need to be available to their family. I, I can't be mad at that family for taking up my time so I can't preach next week. This is serious stuff, Right? We're connected as family. This is serious. It's like telling your family member, I'm just too busy for you. That's believing a lie. You know, it's just not true. We're not too busy for each other. Amen. Three ways of self-deception. Are you ready? When I'm persuaded not to believe what is true. When I'm persuaded to believe what isn't true. And when I'm persuaded because of what I already know not to learn. This is, this is the, 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 the serious one, because most of the time, persuasion comes as a mental argument, right? We put together, and it moves our patience. How many of you have ever had an argument with somebody where the argument accelerated, or the conversation accelerated into a passionate discussion? Just got, oof, and out, what, what happened? It stirred your passions on the inside. You touched these things that you really believe in, which may or may not be true. Amen. Amen. All right. Turn with me. We've got plenty of time. Don't get in a hurry. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's our foundational verse. Are you ready? Verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. Pay attention. Let no one deceive himself. The implication is that you have a responsibility in allowing this to happen. Self-deception is when your persuasion, either by what isn't true or by what you believe or however works, and all of a sudden you believe something that isn't true, you refuse to believe what is true, or because you're already smarter than God, you refuse to learn. That's self-deception. If anyone among you seems to be wise, here's the... I mean, this is the ugly part of it, right? The reason that we're deceived and self-deceiving is because we've already got life figured out. All of you have gone through something that you didn't sign up for. You didn't know that, right? I mean, Christianity's kind of got a secret. When you accept Jesus Christ, you're secretly signing your life away. Christianity will take you to the cross and you can't crucify yourself. (laughs) Circumstances and situations will crucify the old you out of you. And it don't feel good. And I didn't sign up. I didn't sign up for crucifixion. And here's the crazy part about self-deception is that we think if we don't hand Jesus the hammer, he won't be able to crucify us in the circumstance that we're in. Just keep holding, don't let him him have the hammer. Um, Jesus doesn't need your hammer to crucify you. He's coming for you. You say, he saved you so he can kill you. 
I knew nobody would say amen to that. When you get born again, you accept the vicarious death of Jesus Christ in your place. You've already died. You are dead in Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, that it's appointed unto man to die at once. No, not 11, 9. Chapter 9, verse 27. I might not even be close, Jeremy. If I am, you can put it up and then we can all rejoice. But, oh, look at there. All right, yes. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes my insides are moving so quick that I have to stop. And it's like reading a road sign when you're doing 100 miles an hour. And when you stop, and you look up and you say, oh, it's right there. There it is. And so there's that first point in the men to die. After that came the judgment. If you're dead in Christ, you've already been judged. That's why when you look at the world and say, well, I just need a good host, a good dose of, of judgment. Hallelujah. Strike them dead, God. No. If you're dead in Christ, you've already been judged. I'm telling you, it's freeing when you understand the judgment of God. It's so freeing. God judged me in Jesus Christ. Which means he's not trying to whack you because you make an occasional lack of intelligent decision. I mean, sometimes crazy is interesting. Crazy is what some of us call common sense. And then we look at people and say, oh, I don't know what ever happened to common sense. I'll tell you what happened to it. You started defining it. Common sense is just what you think it is. But here we are in the Bible saying, wait, if anyone is wise in this age... Let him, again, allow, you should allow yourself to become foolish, then he may become wise. You're exchanging a belief system here. The, the, the wisdom of the world for the foolishness of the cross. So here's your first quote. Self-deception is a serious problem that we are actively involved and often ignorant of its existence. We do not, that's the nature of deception. We do not realize we're deceived into believing what isn't true or not believing what is true or we're, we're, we're so smart that we refuse to learn. See, we don't always realize we're there. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. How many of you got born again outside of the Pentecostal movement? I did. And then all of a sudden, I was surrounded by nutcases. People praying in a language I didn't understand, raising their hands. Dear Lord, we went to a church service after we got, or maybe before we were born again. But anyway, we, the only place left in this little Montevideo, Minnesota Bible church was this center there. And it happened to be right next, I've told you this story, but right next to the richest guy in town, which when I stopped worshiping basketball, I stopped, started worshiping money. So sitting next to the richest guy in town was a good thing for me. And I just charged right in there, sat right down next to him as if whatever he had would rub off. Well, then I found out he was crazy because Pastor Wirch, about six foot six and about 100 pounds, man, he was this wide, but he had this deep voice. And he, to me, he sounded like God, how I imagine God. And so whenever he talked, you know, it wasn't really him that was talking. It was God that was talking to me because every time he said something, it was just like electricity shot into me, wham, wham, I went, ooh. And then the guy next to me, Mr. Rich guy, he kept saying, Amen. I'm going, what? And he'd raise his hands, you know, clap. I'm thinking, we didn't do this in my church when I was growing up. In fact, you couldn't tell the difference between the living and the dead in the church I grew up in. 
I was having a little trouble. I, I, I needed to exchange the wisdom of the world for the foolishness that is the preaching of the cross. See, that's what, that's what happens. Okay, so let me give you these three. When I'm persuaded to believe, to not believe what is true. I'm sorry, you need to get these notes because if I don't butcher this all up before it's over, it'll be amazing. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Let me show this to you. Notice, if you would, verse number seven. I'm going to read two verses. I'm going to give you these three. So you should have, hopefully, if you're taking notes, you put the first line in. When I'm persuaded not to believe what is true. Okay, when I'm persuaded not to believe what is true. Here's your point. The Bible says, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You cannot short circuit the process of God. You're going to sow it and you're going to reap. Plain and simple. It will not get you kicked out of heaven and you can't sow enough to get kicked into heaven. It's a principle of living life in this world with a different set of citizenship rules or a different citizenship which is of heaven. Verse number seven. Do not be deceived. (coughs) Excuse me. God is not mocked. Self-deception mocks God's in motion process. If we know that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, we were healed, past tense, we were healed. If we know that and we refuse to believe the truth, we mock God. It's that simple. If you believe God wants you to be poor, you don't, listen, (laughs) if you plant seed, it will reproduce. Say, well, you know, but God wants me to be poor. No, you want you to be poor. You're deceived. You say, well, do you mean to tell me we're all supposed to be rich? Yes. Is that clear enough? You say, well, but pastor, not everybody is. That's right. They refuse to believe the truth. Sorry. You say, wow. I didn't say you wouldn't have trouble. I didn't say there wouldn't be difficulties. I said, God set something in motion. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together. Shall man give into the pocket formed by the bosom of your coat? If you're in business today, depending upon men spending money at your business, you need to get Luke chapter 6, about 36 through 38 memorized because men will give to you if you give generously. You say, well, I never heard anybody say that. Yeah, because people are scared to say that because guess what happens when you talk about extravagance? People think you're wasting it. I already told you that right during the offering, you know, that people don't understand that. You understand that your church started many years ago being extravagant. And every time they're extravagant, you can ask any of your elders, every time we're extravagant, when we get back together a few months later, we go, well, now what do we do? The extravagance reproduced. And now there's more extravagance to deal with. You say, well, (laughs) it's hard to be poor in the kingdom of God when you trust God. I mean, it's hard. You say, well, but pastor, you just don't. You're right. I don't understand why anybody wouldn't want this. I just don't. You say, well, but don't they have to live just right? God does the work in spite of your crazy. Okay, so why don't you just line yourself up with the word of God and believe what it says? You say, well, I just don't believe that's the case. Okay. Did I tell you that self-deception is when I'm persuaded not to believe what is true? Well, I don't believe that's true. Okay. 
I can't fix that. I can't fix the fact that you believe that something's not true when it's in the Bible. Look at verse number seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh. See, that tells you that if you sow with flesh, even if you're giving, if you're giving with a fleshly determination, you're going to reap from the flesh corruption. So that says you can give with a wrong motive. And it will reproduce, but you'll reap from the flesh corruption. Did you know you could give yourself into poverty? All the while confessing, I'm going to give myself into prosperity. Because, see, you're doing it by the flesh. You're doing it by the flesh. See, it's not simple. But it's not complicated. If you're going to do it by the flesh, you will reap of the flesh corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Everlasting life. He will reap eternity from that. And really the expression everlasting in in this eternity thing is the blessings that God designs for us in eternal life being lived out in this life. Right? You know, he says there's no crying in heaven and there's no this in heaven. There's no that. He's wanting to get heaven. God wants heaven to come to earth more than you do. Does that make sense? I hope it does, because when you believe that the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth, that's really true. God wants his will to come from heaven and so infect or affect the world that the world as a as a whole process begins to work from that principle of heavenly understanding. Man, that'll fix you. Now, notice in verse number eight. Again, it says that self-deception sows and reaps. So if you're sowing, if you say, well, I'm deceived and I'm going to sow in, you're going to reap from the flesh. You see it? Look at verse number nine. And let us not grow weary. Again, there's a process here that God says you have a responsibility to keep your weariness out of the picture. Let us not grow weary. Why do we grow? I've been an athlete in my mind all my life. In my body... I was an athlete in my 20s, okay? But in my mind, I've been an athletic person all my life. I still believe I can run fast and jump high, although my wife challenged me to a race the other day in the Walmart parking lot. (laughs) There's 14 stairs going up and down the basement at Chris and Amber's house, and I do it a number of times a day. And so my knee was kind of bothering me like it does in aged folks, okay? And so I'm I'm limping my way through Walmart because it kind of hurt a little bit that day, and And Tracy's looking at me and I can tell, you know, I mean, she is a precious woman, but sometimes that side of her that's related to who she came from. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. From Donnie. Okay, let's let's not let listen. Let's just be honest. Okay, (laughs) if you see Donnie and you see that on the outward side, my wife has that on the inside. It doesn't come out very often. And so she looks over at me and I'm carrying a little bag of groceries and that kind of stuff. And she says, with this smile, race you to the car. (laughs) And so I said, I'll race you, but I want to tell you the way my knee feels, I'm pushing you to the ground. (laughs) I love her, but I'm winning. I have the, I know what it feels like to win. I've been an athlete, athlete all my life. And I want to tell you something, I was never weary of winning. But I was really tired after one loss. You lose once, 
My grandson says this to me if he gets beat with whatever. He says, Papa, I don't like this game. Why doesn't he like it? Because he lost. No one likes to lose. So weariness says, do not look at it again. Verse number nine. So you can, let us not grow weary. You're going to have some times in life where it seems like you're not winning. Seems like. But hang on. God's still at work. Right? We had that when the, when the pandemic and the politics and all that. We had, people said, it ain't working, Pastor. It ain't working. Yes, it is. Just relax. Don't grow weary. See, when you grow weary, it's because you're assessing the loss already. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said to me, looks like the devil's winning over the last three years, I'd be a wealthy man. Because it looked like the devil was winning. But the Bible says he doesn't. In fact, the Bible says his teeth were pulled before he started dealing with you. That's why the Bible says that the, that the devil goes about roaring like a lion. But here's the thing. This is an old lion without any teeth. It says seeking whom he may devour. That word devour means to, breathe, to break down to drink. Your geriatric devil lion is eating rest home ground up food. He's breaking you down to drink. He didn't have any teeth. But what do we believe? Oh, he's so terrible. No. I mean, come on. You ever been in a rest home when somebody gets served the piles of ground up? You know, I mean, like, like it's like mashed potatoes, but it's meat. And it's green beans, but it's mashed potatoes. The only thing that you know is potatoes is the white thing that's on your plate. Right? It's ground up. Why? Because there are certain times in life where they can't take. I mean, if you've had a serious surgery and, and they, what, what do they first put you on? Clear liquids. Well, thank you very much. And then what do they do? They bring you hospital jello. You could build a building with that jello. And then if you're bad after that, they bring you ground up food, which smells like it should taste good. But it's ground up. That's the devil. But most of us think he's so powerful. I got to tell you something. You people are nuts. Every time the devil comes at you, he's coming at you with a meal that's been ground up. Because he has to break it down to drink it. Don't participate. He's not strong enough to defeat you. He's already been defeated. See, you refuse to believe what's true. Amen. Point number one. When I'm persuaded not to believe what is true. You, you, did you get it? Point number two. When I'm persuaded to believe what isn't true. Turn over, if you will, please, to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. I'm going to do this whole thing because I'm assured when I was sitting there talking with God that this was one week and next week is another week and I already have it. So you have to just give me the patience. I'm going to get this done in 12 minutes. I know none of you believe me. Verse number 16. This is when I'm persuaded to believe what isn't true. Look at this. Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Here's how we're persuaded. We actually think that God is doing some of the evil stuff in the world. We actually think that God puts sickness on people. I want to tell you something. If God's putting sickness on, on people, stop fighting it. 
Because it's evidently, if God can teach you better when you're in pain, you should stand at the bus stop and hit your kids in the head with a hammer before they go to school. Because they learn so much better in pain. No, that's a lie. And we believe it as if it's a true, you know, God's trying to teach you something. Yeah, he's trying to teach you how to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Oh, you know, no, 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 that's not it. That, that, that can't be it. He's not just teaching you how to stand. He's teaching you how to suffer in great dignity. Well, maybe, but you don't have to. Uh, I, Dale's sitting back there, Dale Kirkenslager. Dale, I, I loved your wife. Bless her heart. She said to me over the 15, 18, 20 years before she passed away, she said to me on every occasion, you don't have to be sick to die. I don't know if you know, and bless your heart, brother. We're so pleased to see you, and we love you just like our own grandpa, or I do anyway. And his wife sat down on the bed, took off one shoe, and met Jesus face to face. She was not sick. She died. (laughs) She was evidently fully persuaded. You don't have to be sick to die. You can just meet Jesus. Praise God. Do not be deceived. Every good gift, every perfect gift. God is in the habit of giving out good and perfect. Quit blaming him for stupid. If you sow, go back to point number one. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh corruption. Quit blaming God for that. You have a level of self-deception. Here's your quote, first verse 16. It says, God does not leave you alone in your struggle. Look what he said in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. God will never leave us alone. Look around. You're in a group of brothers and sisters. This is your family. They're here to support you. They're here to believe and pray and lay hands on you and love you. Bring you food when you can't cook. All of those things. That's what families do. He didn't leave you alone. Verse 17. Notice this. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. There's no variation or shadow of turning. Listen, God doesn't have this twisted sense of logic where somehow he does something in darkness so that you can see it in the light. He doesn't do that. God is unchangeable and always keeps his word. If he says he doesn't change, he doesn't change. And he, by the way, did say that. Verse 18. Of his own will... Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Do you see that? God's will brings forth his truth and we are the first fruits of it. You are literally a living example of the fruit filled truth that God saved you with. It's in you. People say, oh, no, it's not. I don't feel like it is. Do you know how an apple tree feels when it's full of apples? Yeah, I don't either. It's normal for that apple tree to be full of apples. This is normal. The apple tree doesn't go, wow, this is really heavy. I can't hold up my arms anymore. Apple trees produce apples. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that God so planted the implanted word inside of you that you produce what he intended by his will. By the expression of his truth, you are the first fruits of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now. See, you don't want to accept that other that other. That other stuff. Amen. I spent more than 15 minutes because my machine shut off. I told you I'd be done in 12. 
I heard somebody say 15, and I've already used it. Here's your third one. Are you ready? When I'm persuaded because of what I already know, when I'm persuaded not to learn. See, sometimes we're just so sure that we know things that we refuse to be challenged by the Word of God. We refuse to be challenged by the Word of God. There are so many things in the Bible that just have a nuance of effect in us. Notice, if you would, please, the 19th verse of this same chapter. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Now, he's going to tell you some things here that will make you not self-deceived. Be slow to hear. What do, be slow to, I'm sorry, be, let me, let me, let me look at it. Swift to hear. He didn't want you to be slow. What's he saying? He wants you to understand that listening is a real important skill. It's powerful. So as this person who's not going to be self-deceived, I'm going to have to listen. You know, people who know everything aren't good listeners. They want to talk about themselves and what they know. Back in my basketball coaching days, I used to have a quote from John Wooden. Some of you might be old enough to remember who John Wooden was, but he was a coach of the UCLA basketball team, and they won like 10 national championships in 12 years. He was just, the, he was just this awesome coach. And his philosophy in life was the only learning is, that is important is the learning that you learn after you know everything. See, the learning that you do after you know everything, that's the important stuff. Because when you know everything, you stop learning. You already know those things. And that's what he's saying here. Or that's what I see. So being swift to hear, it's a slow to speak. <clears throat> Many of us need, myself in this category, need a brake system for our mouth. We need to slow down. And be slow to wrath. This is so important for this particular season that we're in because I see these levels of anger in people out in the world. That it's just, it's just amazing that we just have no tolerance for anything. Everybody is, is a fool and everybody's trying to steal our time and everybody's trying to do something we don't like. And, you know, I'm about half scared. I, I've lived in the city, you know, for four or five weeks over the last several months. And I'm about half scared to drive sometimes. I'm telling you, there's some, there's some folks on the highway there. And they believe that you're in their spot. And here they come. And God uses that. In my life, and he just says, how are you going to respond? Well, in some ways, what I'd like to do is roll down the window with an automatic weapon. I mean, wouldn't, honestly, wouldn't it educate that one person if you just, you know, put a few shots in the side of his car, and it's just five or six, you know, bam, 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 like that. Wouldn't, wouldn't that, don't you think that would educate that guy who's not a good driver? Okay, probably not, right? You're, you're not refusing to learn. And yet, on the highways today, there are people who, because of lane assignment, shoot each other. Do they actually think that's going to work? But look what it says. For the, verse 20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'm telling you, inside of this one, I'm persuaded to not learn because of what I already know. There's this thing in there. There's this, this, this piece of this that says, I think by strong points of well-thought-out belief system, I'll be able to get people to be righteous. No, the, the wrath, that anger that says somebody's not living up to what the truth is, that will not produce the righteousness of God. 
Notice in verse 21, it says, Therefore, because of this, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. The seed of Jesus is the implanted word. And he says it's able to save your souls. Now, this doesn't mean you're not saved. Your spirit, man, gets saved 100% when Jesus, when you accept Jesus. But getting that into your soul so it can affect your flesh is a process, in most cases, a lifelong one. And it says, listen, if you receive the word, it'll give you the ability to get your soul saved. It'll literally take the will, intellect, and emotions of you and change. That's learning. That's when your passion is changed. That's when your belief system is challenged by how you're living it out. It's able to save your soul. Notice it says in the 24th verse, it says, the 22nd verse, um, I'm sorry, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's the third deception there. You deceive yourself. It goes on to say, it works like this, a man observing his face in a mirror. And when he turns away, the Bible says he immediately forgets, now listen, what manner of man he is. It doesn't say he forgets what he looks like. I looked in the mirror this morning before I left. And I know what I look like. But based on what's reflecting off of me, at times I forgot what manner of man I am. Right? When I'm not in control. When I don't know what to do next, when I get frustrated and, and when I think, oh, things ought to be this way. And I forget what manner of man I am. It's a quality word. It just means great and excellent. When you look in the mirror of the spirit, which is what it goes on to say here, what you should come away with is the idea that God created you to be a great and excellent servant. That seems a little bit counterintuitive to be great and excellent at serving. But here's what God's trying to show us. Put up that last quote, would you please, Jeremy? The servant of God does not seek to control others, but seeks to point out what it's like to be submitted and controlled by God. What manner of man are you? I'm one that's submitted to God. I'm one that's controlled by God. Say, how do you do that? It's really, really difficult when you have to do it with your flesh. Because if you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh corruption. You've got to figure out how to sow that into your spirit, man. Say, okay, I want to move that from my spirit into my soul. It's going to save my soul. And I'm literally going to be re-educated rather than, because of what I already know, refusing to learn. That brings us to verse 25. This one will be blessed in what he does. It's the goal of all of us. To be blessed in what we do. And yet self-deception keeps us away from that. Because we forget what manner of man we are. By not receiving the word engrafted. By not being slow to speak. Quick to hear. Slow to wrath. You see it? I'm persuaded because of what I already know. Not to learn. I hope you learned that this week. Those three things. You can go back and listen to it again. You can go back and get the notes. I hope that I've persuaded you with a rational argument today to understand self-deception. Next week, we're going to talk about persuasion and the role of the soil of your heart. We're going to talk in great length about how your heart, the soil of your heart, affects the production of the seed of the Word of God. 
I think you'll be blessed. Amen? Come on, music team. Come up here, please. Sing us out. Hallelujah. Did you learn something? Hope so. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us. I think there was a lot in there, Father, and I just help, hope and pray that you will sort it into us. Because the problem of self-deception is one of our own making. We need to be changed, Father. We want to believe what is true. We want to stop believing what isn't true. And we want to stop the pride that says, I already know that, and I refuse to learn. Help us, Lord God, to move against the self-deception that the Word talks about. Help us to be what you've called us to be. A man who looks into the mirror, remembers what manner of man, and is fruitful in all he does. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.